If you remain standing for the reading of God's word from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It's in your pew Bible on page 1019, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word never goes out and returns to you empty. I pray that you would uh, teach us from it this morning, that we would be uh, edified uh, by your word, that we would grow to love you more and more through it. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I've been thinking a lot recently about how people change. Some of that is because I have a four-year-old and an almost uh, two-year-old. And some of it is because I'm trying to change some of my own habits, some of the things that I eat. And so I've been taking some literature on both those things, and I have learned, I've noticed some interesting parallels between that and the Christian life and this passage in particular, namely this. In general, people do not change because you tell them to. I don't know if you've noticed that in your life. That includes yourself. Uh, In general, you do not change just because you tell yourself to change. Now, some of you may be uh, very strong in self-discipline somehow, or you may have a job or other standing uh, by means of which people generally obey you. Uh, So there may be some exceptions here. But for most of us, the vast majority, we often fail to change others, and we try and fail again and again and again to change ourselves. And most of the time, I would bet that that is because we make a a very simple mistake, and everyone does this. Uh, We confuse information with heart change, or at least we think that information will create heart change. That's why parents say things to their children like, because I said so, because we don't want to have to explain We just want our child to do something different. 
Uh, or think maybe uh, in social media, when we throw out all kinds of articles, some of them really good, uh, well-written articles uh, to persuade people, and no one seems to be changed by those things. See, we think, you know, if I can just get the right knowledge across to this person, if my child or my spouse or my coworker, if they could just know what I know, then they would be different. They would change. But that's not really true, right? In fact, I ran across uh, a good uh, quote recently about the futility of trying to do things that way. Uh, I think this was a professor at um, University of Washington. He said, knowledge is to change as spaghetti is to a brick wall. Knowledge is to change as spaghetti is to a brick wall. In other words, it is part of our fallen human condition that we may know something is true, we may have heard it a hundred times, a thousand times, and still ignore it, and still not make it any part of our lives. And that is the root of a lot of frustration in our world, and in, in our lives in particular, in the Christian life in particular. So you might wanna think for a second, what would you like to change in your life? There are a lot of things that I would like to change. Some of those are small and peripheral. Uh, some of them would take a miracle, like changing my hairline back to the way it used to be. Uh, but as a Christian, God calls us to very deep change, way down deep in the center of our being. And so we have to think, if, if we have a hard time changing uh, what we eat or what time we go to bed or how we sort of spend our days, how much more difficult is it to change how you talk to your wife or how you speak to your children or how you relate to and trust the Lord in difficult situations? Those things are very difficult. So we have a, a change problem. And so we're going to look this morning at how Peter approaches it in the context of the gospel. Sometimes we take a life problem and we go to scripture with it. Sometimes scripture tells us what the problem is and comes to us. So we've got a little bit of both of that happening uh, this morning. Peter begins his letter with some, some pretty standard opening lines. Um, Simeon Peter just means Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. Some other translations say a faith as precious as ours. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied. In other words, may you be flooded with it. May you have it in abundance. Uh, may it be as the pollen on your, on your car in the springtime. Uh, all of these good things, grace and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So Peter reminds his uh, readers that he is an apostle. It's like putting a big stamp of approval uh, or a seal on this letter. And not only that, but of course, Peter, uh, one of Jesus's inner circle, along with James and John. So we should pay close attention to what he has to say, even in this small sort of, uh, in some ways, insignificant letter. Uh, we don't generally talk about Second Peter a whole lot. He says, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is very high Christology here in the introduction. Um, sometimes Jesus is always at least implied as Lord, but sometimes he is more explicitly called Lord. Uh, and that is so here in the beginning of this letter. Peter is saying Jesus is a really big deal. He's such a big deal because he is 
God. And in fact, he ends this short epistle talking about the glory of Jesus. It's as if, uh, metaphorically, Peter has like a stack of sort of scribbled notes that he's written, and then he takes a, a bow and, and, or a ribbon and wraps it all up, and the ribbon says, Jesus is Lord. So now with all those introductory matters behind us, here we go. Peter, who was standing on the shore of Galilee, probably holding a fishing net, something like that, when Jesus said, follow me. Peter, who made the great confession after, uh, after which Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem where he would enter on Palm Sunday, that we celebrate today, and where he would be killed. Uh, Peter, who saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law at a touch. Peter, who saw Jesus transfigured, who fought for Jesus in the garden but denied him in the courtyard. Peter, who ate fish with Jesus on the shore. The, Jesus in his risen body, Jesus said three times, he asked him, do you love me? And then he said, feed my sheep. Peter, who was given a second chance to follow his Lord and Savior even unto death. This Peter takes a deep breath and then he begins. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So this sentence failed English class, right? So we're gonna, uh, we're gonna chop this up a little bit and look at it. The he's saying the divine power of Jesus supplies Christians with everything that they need for life and godliness. Knowledge of Jesus, that phrase, that's one of Peter's great themes in this letter, and we'll talk more about it, but he's saying that knowledge of Jesus gives us access to his glory and excellence, his precious and very great promises, and even stunningly, mysteriously, the divine nature. Not that we become divine, but that we are called out of, we escape, there in verse 4, the corruption and death of sin, and are called into the life and light and love of the Godhead. Connecting to Jesus, in other words, is like hooking up a dead battery to a live one. And there's a power source and the sparks fly and the sort of engine of your heart roars into new life. And by excellence, uh, we don't just mean that Jesus is, is really neat, that he's a good pal, or that he's just a great teacher or moral example. We mean his excellence in terms of his perfection. He was morally, ethically, lovingly perfect on this earth, that he fulfilled the law. So you have two things that Peter is saying, meet in Jesus. His glory, that is his majesty, his greatness, might say his worshipability and his excellence, his moral perfection, his excellence of character. And if you think about it, those are the two qualities that make Jesus able to save. That he has the power to save because he is God and that he has the moral authority to save 
because he fulfilled the law. In other words, if sin has locked us into death, then Jesus is the key. He's the master key that comes in and puts all the pins right, the tumbler in place, and opens the door to give us life. Jesus is enough. He's enough to give us life and godliness. I take that to mean justification on the one hand and sanctification on the other. Justification that uh, we are saved through him from the wrath of God, that we're adopted into his family. And sanctification that uh, in that we will grow more and more and more like Jesus until we die or until he returns. So what is this knowledge that leads to life and godliness, justification and sanctification, this knowledge that leads to change? Well, Peter mentions it three times, just in verses 2 and 3. He wants you to know Jesus in the way that he knows Jesus. But what we're talking about is not really the way that you know. <clears throat> Maybe you're across the street neighbor, the way I know my neighbor Don which is to uh, sort of wave at um, from a distance. This is more like the way you uh, maybe know a family member after you've walked through something really, really hard with them. Um, so some of you know that my dad uh, last month had a really scary uh, malignant tumor removed uh, from him. And uh, if, if you sort of think about, you know, I have a basic knowledge of my dad, right? I know. Uh, where he was born, I know uh, his, his full name, his birth date, his town and family of origin, I know his work history, I know his shoe size, I know what he eats for breakfast, I know that he falls asleep every night on the couch in the same place watching TV. Um, sorry dad if, you're, if you listen to this at some point. Um, I know all of those things, but holding my dad's hand when he came out of surgery was a different kind of knowing. It was a much deeper, much fuller, relational, connectional knowledge of my dad that was far more than just information. That is the kind of knowledge that Peter is getting at. This kind of knowledge that drives real heart change. But what does it take to know Jesus like this? Well, for one, um, it may sound like I'm sort of down-talking information and I'm sure you won't take that as me putting down the information that the Bible gives us uh, or doctrine theology all the propositional truth that uh, we need and use as Christians in fact the reason that Peter wrote this letter is because he was concerned about false teaching so all of those things are essential we have to know Jesus's name his hometown his family we need a big mental file of who this person is, of facts about him. That is part of the deep knowledge of Jesus that we're looking for. But we need something above and beyond that to know Jesus the way Peter does. And it is not eating with him or walking with him the way, uh, physically I mean, the way Peter did. Um, what we're really talking about is, is faith. You know, the information about Jesus from the scriptures is that sort of raw material, but faith is what breathes life into the thing. Faith is your jumper cables that you hook into the power of Jesus, into his promises and perfection, into his glory and excellence, into life, life, eternal life that Christian says in, in Pilgrim's 
progress. A few months ago, I read a very beautiful book. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. It's by Henry Nouwen. Uh, Nouwen is a little bit outside of our theological tradition. We might not agree with everything that he says, but I really commend this book to you. Uh, it's amazing. And it's sort of predicated on the fact that Nouwen uh, in France ran across a poster. This is pre-internet days before you could Google anything. Some of you may already have this painting pulled up right now. But uh, he ran across this poster in France of Rembrandt's painting of the same name, The Return of the Prodigal Son. And it put him into a very deep, introspective, contemplative frame. And he eventually, if I remember correctly, bought his own poster and, and looked and looked and looked and looked. And at that point, now one could have said, I really know this painting of Rembrandt's. I mean, he had studied it, right? Um, hours and hours, taking in these posters and meditating on them. But then he took a trip. He went to St. Petersburg and he went to the Hermitage Museum where the actual painting is kept. And through the generosity of some of the people at the museum, he sat with this painting for days upon days and just looked at it. Contemplating, meditating on this painting. I did something like this but recently, but it was with college basketball on my television. So not as edifying, right? Uh, now it talks about the differences in the painting and the different parts of the day and the light striking it in different ways and it striking him in different ways. So that when he finally left, he could say, now and knew this painting far, far, far better in a far more deeper way than he had known it before. That is a very small picture of what it's like to know Jesus in the way that Peter is talking about. I mean, have you sat with him for a long time? Have you meditated on him? Have you contemplated him? If you looked on him at different times of the day in all different light, at all the strokes and colors of his life. Of course, the analogy breaks down eventually because now one was looking at a painting, which is a static thing. Jesus is dynamic. He's a person. He is right now in his body at the right hand of the Father. We can be in a relationship with him, a dynamic relationship so that we walk with him, we speak to him in prayer, we may even weep with him. And by faith, you're in a relationship with him, and by faith, that relationship changes you. That's what Peter is getting at here. Remember, he said right there in, in the opening, he said, to those who have obtained by faith all the benefits of Christ. And in verse 5, which we'll get to in a minute, he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. As if that long sentence that we just broke down is, is all of faith. And that's really what it is. Now, if I was not a Christian, maybe some of you here today who are not Christians, then I would be really frustrated, I think, by this idea of faith for a few reasons. Because uh, for one, it can come across as a special sort of quality that Christians have that no one else has. And that's true in some ways. It's not true in other ways. 
But for two, uh, Christians sometimes um, use it as a sort of get out of jail free card. Maybe when we're scared or confused or intimidated, um, we don't know what to tell someone in a difficult situation, then we may say, well, you know, you just, you got to have faith. Um, and that's, that's our way of sort of backing out of something and doing our best. And that's not untrue, but it's, we can be simplistic with it in some ways. And then finally, faith is famously difficult to define. And so Peter gives us all these beautiful benefits of this sort of faith knowledge, we might call it, in Jesus. But some of you are very uncomfortable uh, with that because the idea, the very idea of faith is so vague. Like I said, it's almost impossible to define faith without using just synonyms for faith, right? Without saying, well, it's trust or it's assent or something like that. But here are some things that faith is not. Uh, and these are borrowed from my, my boss and my friend, Les Newsom. For one, faith is not just a positive mental state. It's not just sort of evacuating uh, anything that, that isn't a positive sort of faith thought from your mind, purging your mind from any doubts. Second, faith is not the opposite of reason, as it is often, unfortunately, portrayed. In fact, Scripture often talks of faith as reasoning from facts uh, to something that is spiritually true, even if we can't see it. Remember Isaiah 1, God says, Come now, let us reason together. Third, faith is not uh, mere agreement. I know a lot of people who would, if you asked them explicitly, if they thought Jesus existed, and maybe even that he was Lord, that they would say, yeah, sure, uh, but it doesn't make any difference in their lives. Uh, you, you may remember in James, he says, you believe that God is one, good, even the demons believe and shudder. So faith is not just acknowledging the truth of certain facts. Instead, uh, faith is a more wholehearted thing um, it is, I think, grabbing onto Jesus in three different ways, in think, in feel, and in do. And we are all made up of those three things. Uh, we're all made up of knowledge, assent, and will. Think, feel, and do. Faith is all, of, all three of those things moving in concert towards Jesus Christ. In other words, knowing cognitively the facts of the situation, that Jesus is the only one who can save you from your sin. Feeling that desperate need of him and doing or exercising your will to trust and obey him. Incidentally, repentance is those same three things, think, feel, do, in turning away from sin. So repentance and faith, two sides of the same coin. In other words, faith is your heart, which is not just feelings in the Bible the way we uh, portray it sometimes. Uh, in, in the Bible, your heart is the center of your being. It's the sort of mission control center of who you are, all that you love, cherish, uh, find joy in, hope for, believe is beautiful. Faith is your heart giving itself over to Jesus. Now, all of this, this sort of faith knowledge, is divinely worked out in you by God, by good, loving, merciful, gracious God. And that's what Peter is getting at here. And then he says, verse 5, because of 
this beautiful transaction whereby you've given your sin over to Jesus and he has taken it and given you his righteousness in return. Therefore, he says, make every effort. Make every effort. That sounds like change to me. Make every effort to change. See, the gospel is not rest or effort. The gospel is rest and effort. As one of my professors in seminary said, we, we rest in our work as Christians and we work in our rest. I think that's a, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, we get to rest in the knowledge that through Jesus, our eternal standing with God is set in stone. It can never change. We can never be lost to him. We can never be forgotten by him. We can never be uh, pushed from him. But in order to magnify God's glory and excellence, in order to become partakers of the divine nature and escape the world and the flesh and the devil that is killing us, then we strive. We strive. Elsewhere, Paul says we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And here, Peter says, because of what Christ has done in our salvation, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. What an incredible catalog of qualities of those who are being changed into Jesus Christ. These are his qualities. These are the qualities that he gives us by faith as we're being sanctified, as we're being changed to become more and more like him. And it's not just because Peter or Jesus or anyone else told us to. In fact, Peter is a good example of being told things and then not really, not really let, allowing them to, to uh, make a difference for you, right? Um, not just because they told us things like throwing spaghetti against a brick wall, but because the same Lord who worked in us to believe, to grasp Jesus by this faith knowledge is now working in us to change us as we put effort in with him to grow. It's an interesting phrase here. Uh, we, we don't have time to break down sort of each one of these qualities. I think maybe we should notice the, the bookends there, faith and love. Um, it's an interesting phrase, supplement your faith. <clears throat> Some of you, your antennas are going up. You're thinking, what about faith alone? Why would we need to supplement faith with anything? And um, I will answer that with the, the jumper cable analogy. Uh, I'm going to run this one into the ground. So the next time you are on the side of the road waiting for somebody to jump you off, you'll think, I'm not even upset. I just, what a great illustration. Um, Jesus has the power to jump off your dead heart, your heart that will not change of its own accord. Faith is the jumper cables. By faith, you're connected to that power of Jesus. But once Jesus jumps you off, uh, your engine has a whole lot of different parts to it. The Christian life has a lot of parts to it. Virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness. But all of these are sparked by the power and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
whereby you are connected to him by faith. What's more, verse 8, Peter implies that these qualities already belong to Christians. It's a comforting thought. We already have these things, that, that they are yours, and that they're increasing right now. And by these qualities displayed, you confirm, verse 10, your calling and election. In other words, when you act like a Christian, you tell the world and yourself that you're a Christian and you confirm your future hope, verse 11, the, uh, in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Confirm does not mean that you have to convince the Lord uh, again. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to be saved again or justified again. It just means that by your efforts to grow into Jesus himself, you reiterate that you are his. Here's what I don't want you to take from this passage. Some of you are of the uh, sort of frame of mind to, to look at all of those eight qualities uh, in verses five through seven and to be very intimidated by any sort of list of these things in the Bible and to say to yourself, oh, I'm terrible at those. Uh, how can I ever keep those? What a burden. But no, that's, that's not what we're saying here. Look at the flow of the whole passage. If you are in Jesus Christ and he has already granted to you all that you need for life and godliness, in his power, you strive to change, to become more and more like him, knowing that one day you will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you are in Christ, your past, your present, and your future are all set. Uh, sometimes we say Jesus saves us from the, the penalty and the power and the, will one day save us from the presence of sin. It's past, present, future. Now, because of my uh, deep, deep studies in parenting techniques, uh, I have learned recently that a lot rides on uh, my son feeling like he is secure. In fact, that a lot of us, uh, th that that is the difference, even when you're an adult, between a healthy person and an unhealthy person is uh, being secure or insecure. And this is really what Peter is saying here is that yeah, he has for us in Jesus ultimate security. That when you're connected to Jesus by faith, you are completely secure. That you have the freedom to be yourself that you have the freedom to fail often, but to repent and to come back, turn back to the Lord, that you can um, fail without losing God's love, and ultimately that you can change. You can become more and more like Jesus so that one day uh, you will have the freedom, ultimately, uh, to live with Jesus for all time in perfect security, in the eternal kingdom of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Peter says. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you again for this, this beautiful word that you've given us, um, that uh, there's so much hope for us to, um, to find a life in you, to find mercy and grace in you, and uh, to find the power to change, uh, even now on this earth, 
and to ultimately uh, be with you for all time. Those things uh, encourage us and they give us uh, hope. And we thank you for that. And we pray uh, that you would teach us those things deeper and deeper into our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.